Hey everybody, welcome to episode 13 of the Global Health Impact Fund podcast. I'm your host, Martin Eels. And today we have a really amazing topic uh, with an expert in this field. So I'd like to welcome Alex Gahana, um, general partner for BT Block Health Group. Alex, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's good to be here. Thank you, Martin, and uh, good morning. Thank you. So before we kick off, like, why don't you give a, just a quick introduction of who you are, what you do? Oh, okay, quick. Uh, at that age, that quick is starting to be a little bit of a challenge. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trained as an anesthesiologist uh, that specialized in pain medicine. I built uh, pain centers around the world in Israel, in Japan, in Switzerland and the United States. So, so it's safe to say that I'm a bit familiar with the uh, global healthcare industry, or at least the different setups of how clinics are built. Um, I've been involved in technology integration into clinical workflow for, I don't know, at least since 2007 when I arrived to the U.S. And um, I've been specifically interested in uh, Web 3.0 or decentralized technologies, among them blockchain, which we're going to talk uh, in the next uh, 30 minutes. Um, for the last um, seven years, I uh, had a deep dive into it. And in that capacity, I consult um, uh, multiple uh, organizations, uh, governments. Uh, I am an expert on uh, blockchain and healthcare at the United Nations CFACT uh, Commission. And I'm a co-editor of the book, which is a HIMSS publication, Healthcare and Blockchain. So I would say half of my day is talking to big companies that uh, have only three letters in their name talking about blockchain, and the other half is helping uh, young, I would say, startup companies or growth state companies connect to these uh, large organizations. Wow. Very busy man. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kick off uh, so the audience understand. What is blockchain? Uh, I, I, I think like that, that is the hardest question of all, not because it's hard, but because usually we don't explain it, we describe it. Okay. Uh, you know, if someone now would, would go on YouTube and write blockchain, I think uh, 99 out of 100 YouTubes, they would start by saying blockchain is a public ledger. And that that or a, a public distributed ledger, and that that means absolutely nothing to a physician. When I heard that the first time, I, I had no idea what ledger was. I, maybe I recalled uh, it from a uh, Sean Connery movie, you know, the name of the roses, where it was like writing there, you know, uh, uh, ledger, which is an append only uh, database. So so that that is not really an explanation. That's more of a description. It's like saying water is. Uh, H2O. So if you're not familiar with the table of elements, you can say water is W-A-T-E-R. Nobody would understand. I don't, I don't find that though, those kind of explanations, quote unquote, very helpful. They're, they're more descriptors. Um, if I would have to explain uh, what uh, uh, blockchain is, uh, I wouldn't take the whole database tack. It's, it's not very exciting for a doctor to say, oh, you know, there's this now architecture of data where we can make sure the data is uh, uh, auditable and we can't change it. We call it immutable, another word, you know, in our, in our jargon. And it's time spent, it's stamped and hacker, that's not exciting. So my prefix 
explanation is usually blockchain is the software solution to the social problem of trust. And I think that resonates a lot because everybody lives now in the midst of this misinformation, disinformation, and problems of trust. I think that most of us, and especially in the audience, you know, we're trust, we're trustful and trustworthy people. Uh, I like to believe everything I read. Uh, I think that I want to, you know, when I eat something, I believe that what's in it is what they promised. When I have a contract, I believe that what's in the contract is done in good faith and not, you know, in page 47 in font three says exactly the opposite. So we are trustful persons, and, and, and what we're finding is that it's harder and harder to do that. And uh, um, the way we solved it is to create trust agents, it's people that are around us that verify that, indeed, this is, this is true. So for a contract, you'd have a lawyer or a notary or some type of, you know, you go to the doctor, I want to make sure that what I read on the internet is correct. Have experts, and so we've created a universe of trust agents that, unfortunately, we have found in the last I don't know 10, 15 years that they're taking care more of themselves than rather you know working in our benefit. And so, blockchain is a technology, a peer-to-peer network, and, and, and a, a capability like the internet to transfer data, to transfer money, to transfer value uh, without the need for these trust agents. And we call it trustless. Uh, I think it's a poor word because when you hear the word trustless, you mean, oh, I can't trust it. And actually it means trustless means I don't need a trust agent. So it's actually trustful. But you know, then again, that's one of the complications of, of, of jargon language. But really, uh, uh, a, a blockchain um, solves uh, that problem uh, um, that you need someone to verify a transaction. And so I like to think of it as the new internet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody remembers uh, this cartoon on the New Yorker where you see a dog in front of a computer and the caption says, nobody knows I'm a dog. And so uh, uh, the reason is because in the original internet protocols, there was no verification. There was no know your client, know your transaction layer that exists in uh, blockchain. And so that's why we can have all this misinformation and disinformation going on. And uh, without being too technical, uh, distributed ledger technology, um, by the virtue of it being distributed, solves that problem. Awesome. I think that's an awesome way to say it. It's the first time I've heard blockchain being described that way. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. You know, people say it's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's Alex Kahana's blockchain explanation. <laughs> but, you know, I almost like to think about it um, the, way, the way I prepared, let's say, uh, last week I was in a conference and I prepared a talk. And, uh, um, you know, when you write it on your own, you can just put in whatever you want. Obviously, you don't want to say egregious things to get hate mail and, and, and be, you know, tweeted to death. But basically, you know, you're your own supervisor. But when you start to work in a network, uh, a, a, like in Google Docs or Google Slides, and I know that other people are looking at it, I'm starting to pay attention to what I write because I know that other people are looking at it. And, and so that's the network effect of where you have other people that are looking at. It. So imagine I'm sitting in my clinic and I'm 
writing every day all these transactions, but I have other people that are looking at it that are permissioned, you know, the, my, my clinic, my administrators, it doesn't matter. Who. And so I put this data on a ledger, which is an append-only database. And then at the end of the day, let's say we all agree that this is what happened. I saw five patients, I made a gazillion dollars, and everybody's healthy. And we all agree on it, and we lock it. We lock it with encryption, and that's it. And that's a block. That's a block of information. And I do it on Monday, and I do it on Tuesday, and I do it on Wednesday, and do it the whole week. And so that's the chain. It's a chain of blocks, you know, data in blocks that are all signed, cryptographically signed, and, 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 and cannot be all. So when I wake up, you know, on, on, on Friday and someone says, oh, how was your patient on Monday? And I'm like, oh, I forgot to put in his blood pressure or, oh, he's actually doing way worse than I said. Maybe I can go back and change it. You can. So, so you can trust that what's written in there is really the right thing. So, yeah. so I think that's, that's a very tangible, practical way of understanding what, what blockchain is. Okay, so let me ask you this. How can we leverage blockchain to benefit the healthcare? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, first of all, I think that the, the, the true answer is we don't know yet. In other words, I want people to be, to understand that this is like the early, early, early age. So if anybody feels like, oh, I missed it, you know, we've been talking about blockchain since uh, 2008 or 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 the first use of blockchain in Bitcoin since 2008 or 2010, it's 2021, and I haven't paid attention. No, this is this is really, really early. It took the internet 30 years to happen before it became the World Wide Web. So we're, we're, we have another 20 years, you know, to kind of, I hope it'll be sooner, you know, if we have COVID 20, 21, 22, then blockchain will accelerate even more quicker because it shows how the system doesn't work. But um, uh, we're still very early on, and so we're in a discovery phase of what what we think uh, blockchain can do in healthcare and life sciences. So I've been I've been writing blogs since 2018, 2017, 2018. So if you go back and 2018, say, oh my God, what did Alex think about? You know, it's like totally not true. It's just, yes. So, so we're I'm, I'm being I'm being cautious and measured. However, um, the pandemic did expose some vulnerabilities in our healthcare system, which makes a few use cases stronger to say, okay, a distributed ledger technology really is a good idea. So I would say that the first one and the most obvious one is the supply chain. Uh, I'm sure everybody remembers when it hit New York or hit the U.S. or other countries, we were scrambling for toilet paper, for hand sanitizers, for ventilators. Nobody knew uh, uh, how much we have. So, so this really pertains to databases. This, this pertains to we don't know. We have a lot of data, but they're buried in data pools or data lakes, and they're not accessible. And what we call in, in our own jargon, they're not li liquid so there's data illiquidity. We know a lot of stuff, but we can't access it or we can't derive any meaningful insights from it. And so uh, um, the, the nature of, of data organized in blocks where there is a consensus of how to access them, there is an agreement, what we call a smart contract, that defines the contractual relationships 
of how to access that debt, where you can give permission, you can revoke that permission, has become very, very powerful in the supply chain uh, uh, field. And especially now with all the testing and the manufacturing of vaccinations, that has become widespread. So I think that that's an excellent use case. There are a couple of solutions out there that I'm familiar with and that I'm involved with that have been helping not only uh, developing countries in Africa and in South America, but also in, in, in the UK, Europe, and hopefully also in the United States at some point, um, where uh, centralized databases are vulnerable. Okay? They can be hacked. It's a honeypot, so they can be hacked. There's one-point failure. Some, some employee gave, uh, you know, clicked the wrong link, and suddenly everybody enters and, 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 and uh, all the data is lost or corrupted or something. So, so uh, the, the centralized databases have been shown to be uh, attack vulnerable, obviously sensor vulnerable. Uh, you might remember when there were states in the U.S. that changed the number of patients simply to look better for political reasons. And of course, uh, uh, um, they're, they're, they're collusion vulnerable. You can have people, oh, let's, let's pretend that we gave more when actually we gave way less and some sorts, which in blockchain, that could never happen because there's just too many people looking at it and would, would, would disallow you know, these type of things to happen. So, so supply chain is one use case that, that's very straightforward. The second one I would say is credentialing, uh, which actually has good traction in the U.S. simply because credentialing is a very uh, expensive and, and, and lucrative uh, business. And so any doctor who tried to get, you know, uh, 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 credentials uh, for, for hospital or do some locums in another state just knows the cost, the time, the friction, the energy. So there are a couple of very interesting solutions that are just a click away that do that. And so the verification of identity and saying, Dr. Kahana is really an anesthesiologist that was trained here and has a license there and so forth. Clinical trial management systems are starting to be awakened. Uh, uh, the idea, uh, again, of how you can keep the integrity of the data uh, in places also that don't require infrastructure, they don't require databases or data houses, they don't require uh, a host of things that, you know, remote areas where we want also to, to, to do trials. We just, we don't want to do all our trials in, 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 in northeast of the United States or in New York City. Uh, um, so there are, there are a few very interesting decentralized clinical trial management systems, uh, especially those who have financial modules in it that can give the sponsors or doctors who are researchers uh, immediate access to funds. You know, you don't have to wait three months to get paid for that trial. And then, of course, uh, uh, um, electronic health record, which is a big, big deal. Uh, it's a big, um, I would say, area of contention. Uh, most doctors have a love-hate relationship with electronic health records. Uh, uh, I recall reading that the majority or mo most of uh, physician burnout is attributed to uh, electronic health records. So, so you know, every day, one or two doctors in the U.S. commit suicide. So literally. You have doctors who say, I would prefer, prefer rather to kill myself than to log in one more time into an electronic health. So, so um, 
creating an electronic health record that has capabilities of blockchain where the data is owned by the users. And then, of course, there are these experiments, I would say, that have to deal more with um, behavioral economics and cryptocurrencies. Uh, blockchain, the first time blockchain was used was actually in a cryptocurrency in, in Bitcoin. And the way I would look at it is basically internet money or, or programmable money. So, so those who have heard me before, I always use this example of um, we're, all, we're all old enough to remember uh, that once upon a time, uh, you pick up the phone and say, operator, give me telephone one, two, three. And there's no need for that anymore. Uh, and, and because we don't, need, we don't need that intermediary, it's automatic. We make these long distance calls for free. And that's because of VoIP, voice over internet protocol. So to a large extent, blockchain is DOIP, data over internet protocol, the, the new kind of internet that has these uh, um, self-sovereign identity features in it, and uh, uh, MOIP, which is money over internet protocol. So there's all these kind of experiments that are going on of how doctors can organize themselves in a community that captures their, 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 their value using uh, uh, blockchain, we call those uh, those capturing of the, the, that value token or a coin or a reward, and and you can reward doctors for being in a network of other doctors and you know voting and speaking and giving podcasts. Um, electronic health records who use blockchain can actually have tokens in them where you can reward patients. So you know there's no need actually to send checks to people or to lure them into, oh, you know, I'll give you a truck if you get a vaccination. But rather, you know, if you create tokens that are native to the electronic health record, then people who would wear masks, get vaccinated, eat healthy, sleep well, exercise. So there's there's this whole idea of how can we motivate people, you know, and 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 induce, I would say, behavior modification by monetary and non-monetary Okay, I know we touched upon electronic health records quite a few times. I'd just like to put this in a little bit more depth. Like, how can blockchain be used in the electronic health records? Well, I think in order to make it um, not theoretical, we just have to think now, first of all, what, block, what, what, what electronic health records serve today. And most, most physicians, especially those who are in private practice, um, Think of electronic health records as a glorified uh, fee sheet. Uh, nobody really taps deeply uh, into the data during the, I would say, uh, clinical visit or the therapeutic dialogue in real time simply because these records are not responsive enough. And in the few minutes that you have, you're not going to waste it on searching stuff. And so it really is more of a testimonial that, uh, yes, I spent X minutes with this patient and I did this and this, you know, justifies the code for which I'm going to be charged that I want to be paid. For. That's really what it's all about. Uh, researchers might post hoc look at it and say, okay, I want to dive into this and, and find data that could help me with whatever research question. But that also is fraught with a lot of difficulties because we're not sure about the quality of the data that was inserted. 
And the third is really, you know, you haven't documented it, then you can't prove that it happened. So you know, whenever there are medical legal problems, uh, then then you go back and say, no, you see, I, I actually did measure their blood pressure on Monday, so it's and it was normal, so it's not my fault that they stroked on on, on Friday. So it's not a very dynamic and robust tool. I, I think most doctors would agree that it doesn't improve the therapeutic dialogue. If anything, it, it hinders it. And um, blockchain can change that. Uh, I actually am involved with a couple of blockchain-based uh, 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 electronic health records that are in use, not in the United States, of course, because the United States is a, uh, I would say, a uh, oligopoly or a pentopoly of a couple of uh, uh, incumbent, very powerful electronic health records that cover at least 80% of, of the market. And so most physicians, A, don't choose what electronic health record they use, and B, probably are locked in to a contract that, um, you know, they can't, they can't change it. But the basic premise or the easiest way to understand, what does that mean, Alex, when you say self-sovereign electronic health or, or a uh, blockchain-based electronic health record, is to say that EHRs here in the U.S. were built for hospitals for brick and mortar, and brick and mortar doesn't move. So if hospital A has one and hospital B has the other, there's no way to communicate between them. And that's where we see the interoperability problems. And if you put on top of that the need for common taxonomy for research, you need compliance and standards for legal and, and regulatory needs, uh, this really creates what I called before the data illiquidity. We have information, but it's stuck. And so I can come with my wearable and show on my Fitbit that I did ABC, but there's no way that that's going to be integrated in the software if, if it's not designed to do that. Um, Blockchain-based electronic health records are, are built for patients. And so because it's the patient that moves from medical facility to another. And so it's mobile, it's portable. Uh, the data can be saved on some centralized cloud, so it could be on Google Cloud or Azure or AWS, doesn't matter. But the access to it through the smart contract is, is on, on the chain, it's on the blockchain, which says, you know, so, so for practical purposes, I can say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to see Dr. Martin. So here I'm going to slide on my app and say to, he can look at it tomorrow from 8 to 12. And afterwards, I revoke that. Or I want him to see everything, but for example, my insurance company, I just want them to see my insurance stuff and I don't want them to see my medical or my mental health notes. And I can give the doctor the permission to not only view, but also to edit, to change, and to comment. So, so it's not patient-centric, like we like to call our electronic health records, it's actually patient-driven. It's really, it's driven by the patient, by giving permissions, by revoking permissions, by allowing things. And, and uh, it, I think most people, at least I was surprised when I found out that in the U.S., for example, um, data, your health data doesn't belong to you, legally does not belong to you, except in the state of New Hampshire. It belongs to 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 uh, the medical facility, which I think that that's the basis of the problem. Because if my data doesn't belong to me, then a third party can use it, can lose it, can abuse it, 
can be sold and um, uh, uh, to, to give a picture of how this would look like in my clinic, if I would have, let's say, okay, Alex, you convinced me it's awesome. How would a self-sovereign electronic health record look in my clinic? It would be an app, an app that that patient downloaded, new download. There is a patient version. There is a physician version. There's a front end. There's a back end that has all the health management information system. And uh, um, as a physician, you would you would talk to me and say, you know, you know, Alex, you're you're fine. You know, you don't have pre-diabetes. You know, your 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 blood pressure is fine. You're you're okay. But but I do want you to to sleep a little bit better, to exercise more. And so I say, I know, I know. You know, everybody says that, and I should. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you. A, a a Martin coin. And I'm like, a Martin coin? What's What the hell is a Martin coin? So a Martin coin is uh, a, a reward that every time you meet, let's say we want to normalize your hemoglobin A1C or we want you to lose another 10 pounds or something. You can take that, that coin and go to a gym and get, you know, half off because I spoke to them and the, the they said, fine. Or you can go down and to the farmer's market and buy, you know, heirloom tomatoes. Because I spoke to them and they said that's fine because it brings them more business. They create an economic activity where you incentivize people to do healthy things. And I, then I ask you and I say, well, doctor, can I go in and, and, and buy cigarettes or jewel? And you say, no, well, you can't do anything with that. Why? Because tokens are programmable money. I can program them to do certain things. And so I'm saying, sure, I'm going to do that, you know, because it's not theoretical anymore. It's like I get tangible results. And then the, the clinic manager comes to you and says, Martin, I, I've noticed that your patients are doing way better than all the other patients. How is that? You say, well, you know, I have my secret sauce. It's called a Martin. Wow, that's amazing. What's a Martin coin? You explain and say, you know what? I want to buy a couple of Martin coins. And uh, they pay, you know, money to go to the Martin coins. And you say, well, okay, but what do I do with those Martin coins? Says, well, these Martin coins, for example, every time you see 100 patients and they all do better, we'll give you 10,000 Martin coins. And with that, you can go to a conference, you can buy books, you can donate to a charity you want and write it as a tax write-off. You know, you can do, so, so they are now incentivizing you into that economic. And so you see how this grows. And so the insurance company comes to the clinic and says, wow, your clinic is so much better than all the other clinics because there are no emergency room you know, visits and people are slimmer and, and leaner and meaner and what, what's going on here? And they say, well, that's because of Martin coins. And they say, well, we want a million dollars worth of Martin coins. And, and then all our beneficiaries. So, so there are new ways to create economic venues that are very tangible, that all what they require is to download an app, and all the other things are automatically generated. So I, I know it sounds weird for someone who's like hearing from the first time, like how can I mint my own uh, uh, coins? Uh, I'm not I'm not a U.S. government where I can. And and of course there are a whole host of issues that require uh, answering. But I just wanted to give you a general feel that these type of self-sovereign electronic health records that are built on blockchain change the way we behave, change the way patients behave, change the way we behave with patients, changes the way we talk, 
and can also generate an economic activity right now that we're excluded, we're excluded from. And so I don't recall when 23andMe sold my genetic information to GSK, I don't recall getting a check in the mail. But with this type of economics, you can actually be uh, rewarded for it. Wow, that's amazing. So if any insurance company wants to buy a million dollars of money coin, let me know. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and, and they will. And, and, and we're actually doing this. We're not doing this in the U.S. Because you know, like you know, the expression that you can always count on the U.S. to do the right thing after they tried everything else. But we are experimenting with this in Africa, in uh, Latin and South America. We're actually we're leapfrogging them from analog, paper-based, to this type of decentralized economy or blockchain-based solutions, and it's fantastic. It's just amazing to see how people. Are engaging with it, and it's it's beautiful. The future the future is actually happening. That's awesome. Well, I think we've come to our time for today. Um, you know, I really appreciate coming on, but I'd love to have you back to come and talk about you know um, the benefits of why clinics and organizations should use blockchain in a little bit more depth, and you know the economic value that you know how clinicians and physicians can earn additional sources of revenue. I'd love to. I'd love to. And I'm sure a lot of people will sign on because if the topic is how can they make more money with crypto, <laughs> that's like, let's, oh, do, that. let's do that. Well, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Martin. It was a pleasure.